0: Good morning. If you're here this morning, say, hey, I feel blessed. Say amen. 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 Okay, some of have got work to do, all right? But I tell you what, I, we are blessed. We are blessed. And, and it was so funny, earlier, I was standing back there when Dave mentioned that Amy and Leslie are kind of in charge of the preschool, and the, the applause was interesting to watch because it was almost like a, God bless you, right? Right, but we need some help. We need some help. So, hey, we're glad you're here this morning. Last week we began a new series called Christian Atheist. It's a book. It's written by a guy named, by the name of Craig Groeschel. He's the pastor of the largest church in America. It's called Life Church. Uh, lifechurch.tv is their website. And it is an amazing book. I've read the book. It's a worth reading. But what intrigued me and why we're doing this series is more due to the tagline of the book. It says, the, t- the, the title is Christian Atheist, but the tagline is that one who believes in God but acts like he doesn't exist. That's the tagline of the book, which is a very intriguing to me, because you think about it, when you call someone a Christian, that usually comes with one set of thought, and you call someone an atheist, that comes with an opposite set of thought than Christian. So if you put those two together, is there such a thing as a Christian atheist? Someone who says they believe in God, but they act like he doesn't exist. And that's a big definition. It's a big term. So I've dumbed it down to kind of Doug's definition, which is this, I hope you write it down is, those who say they follow Jesus, they 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 claim to be followers of Jesus, but their life does not always reflect that or reflect it at all. Those who claim to follow Jesus, but their lives simply just don't reflect that. And the question you got to ask yourself when you think about that is, can you be a believer and still be a Christian atheist? Can you, can you follow God and be a Christian atheist? And so last week, to answer that question, we started in Matthew chapter 7. And the words of Jesus were very powerful. It's one of those passages that when you go through it, it's, it's one of those that just like, man, it, just, it numbs you for a couple of days because you understand the weight of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. And he talks about two gates. He talks about a wide gate with a broad road and a narrow gate with a narrow road. And those who enter the broad gate, he said, are those that they just have this easy beliefism. They get in there and they just think, hey, believing in God, just professing you believe is good enough. It doesn't matter if you live like it. Your life doesn't have to reflect it. Just simply believe and you're good. Now, if you remember, those people ended in destruction, right? You remember the end of the story. It says those, their path ends in destruction, meaning those that claim to be followers of Jesus and they just simply believe in easy beliefism, they're pretenders. But then he talks about the narrow gate people, those into the narrow gate, and it's not simple and easy beliefism. It's a belief that moves me to real faith and trust in God that leads me to a life living for God. And those people are really followers of Jesus. And so last week we talked about how do we really know? How do we all really know if we've entered the narrow gate? And I end last week with just one question. Which gate have you entered? And if you're not in the narrow gate, it was time to receive Christ. Now, as I've thought about that since last week, I thought, you know, for those, many of us in the room, many of us would claim, and we are followers of Jesus Christ, and here's what I want to say about many of us in the room, starting with this guy. We are followers of Jesus, but we are recovering Christian atheists. Let me explain what I mean. We say we follow Jesus and we know we have a relationship with Christ and there's so many areas of our lives where we trust Christ, but there are some areas that maybe we struggle really trusting Jesus with some areas of our life, right? I mean, anybody else like that? I mean, I know I am. I mean, hey, I love Jesus. I follow Christ. But at the end of the day, there's areas in my life, even me, I struggle trusting Jesus. And so maybe I'm that believer who's a recovering christian atheist i'm like the guy in scripture in mark chapter 9 who comes up to jesus and he says hey i believe but help me with my unbelief right it's like i believe in you i trust you i get it i'm on board but i struggle can you be honest enough to say if that's maybe you today right So today and next week, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about two primary areas that I believe those who are legitimately people who've entered the narrow gate, who really are followers of Jesus, they produce fruit in their life, they focus on the relationship with Christ, and they really do try to live their life and build their life based on the words of Jesus and God's word, that there's two areas that those people, followers of Jesus, do struggle sometimes really trusting God. And the first area I wanna talk about is the area of money. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. You know, I've been in church all my life. Here it comes. I'm talking about money. Or I've not been in church at all. Why would this have to be the first Sunday I'm here? He's going to talk about money. Well, listen to me. Here's why we feel that way. Money is emotional, right? You ever paid off a car note and you couldn't let the check out of your hand, right? You're Like, I'm just not sure if this can leave my hand because there's there's more than just three digits on this check and you're like, I gotta, I mean, and it's emotional, it's personal. I mean, when you talk about money, I mean, you're talking about your hard work and how you get rewarded for that. I mean, when we talk about money, most people think, hey, you've moved from preaching to meddling and you need to stay out of my business. Well, I'm glad I can stay out of your business because Jesus wants to get all up in your business, all right? Because Jesus talked a ton about money. Jesus talked a ton about money and its impact on our lives. Now it was interesting, as I was praying through this this last week, I, I was somewhere and I was paying cash for something, and as I, was, as I was handing over the cash to them, I noticed on the back of my dollar bill, guess what? it says. Isn't that ironic that on the back of our money, it says, "In God we trust, yet most of us struggle trusting money more than God. Isn't that ironic? And today, I want us to look at two biblical truths, just two biblical truths about money. So if you have your Bibles, first of all, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and then later, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So Matthew chapter 6, and I want to read verse 19 through 21. It's a familiar passage, but there's two truths I want to give you today. Here's the first one, chapter uh, 6, verse 19. Jesus is speaking, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, or thieves can break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that's a passage we've all heard before, right? So Jesus basically saying, listen, hey, many of you are consumed with building up earthly treasures. You're consumed with building up stuff, and you want stuff of this earth, and you're consumed with building that stuff up. And I'm just going to tell you, that stuff will be destroyed. That stuff will rust away and go away. That stuff can be stolen. That stuff can't go with you. It's not eternal. So rather than store up stuff, and try to gain all that kind of stuff, how about you start investing in eternal things, eternal things that won't rust, that moth won't kind of come in, and, and thieves won't come in and steal. I mean, won't you invest in those things, and then Jesus ends with that powerful, powerful word. Look what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is the first truth we need to know. Money, now write this down. Money is the chief competitor for your heart. Money is the chief competitor for your heart. Money is the thing that the devil would want to use to drive our hearts away from God and and toward stuff. Money is the chief competitor of our hearts. Now here's what Jesus is saying. What you value the most is where your heart is. So if whatever you value above everything else, that's what's gonna have your heart. So if you value your job above everything else, guess what's gonna get your attention and your affection and your heart? Your job. If you value your family above everything else, guess what gets your heart, your attention, and your affection? Your family. If you value your recreational habits over everything else, I mean, whatever you like to do and you value it over everything else, guess what gets your heart, your attention, and your affection If you value money over everything else, guess what gets your heart, your attention, and your affection? Money. Now, here's the thing I want to contend today, and I want to submit to you. I believe that what we value more than anything else is also something that we serve because we think it will bring or provide something for us that we don't have. In other words, Whatever we value above everything else, and today we're talking about money, if we value money above everything else, we will end up serving money because we think money will provide something for us that we don't have. For example, some believe this. Some think that if we just had a little bit more money, it would bring happiness. Now, if I ask you to raise your hand, there's not a soul in here probably going to raise their hand. How many of you think a little bit more money would make you happy? You're probably not going to raise your hand. So let me put it in context, all right? Let's say you win the Publisher's Clearinghouse. Hey, I love the Publisher's Clearinghouse. I would love to win that one, right? And they come to your house and they say, look, Heath, you're gonna win. You're gonna get 7 thousand dollars a week for the rest of your life and now yes he's like party on right and not only that he's now they're new dealers and you can give it to somebody else and so i know you would give it to not me but you give it to kelly so now your household's gonna have fourteen thousand dollars a week for the rest of your life now at some point just think about that would that make you just a little bit happier we think it would right but here's a thought is the chief pursuit of our life to be happy is it See, scripturally, I don't think God wants us to be miserable, but happiness is not the end. Happiness is a fleeting emotion, isn't it? Let me give you an example. Uh, there's been this little unspoken tension between Steve Keith and I and Jeannie Lodarsic at the Planet Fitness about how many floors we go on the Stairmaster. And so Steve's insane. He went like 140 floors and man, you just, you're you my hero. And so, and then I, I like didn't do very many. And then Jeannie pops up and she's done like all these in like 20 minutes. You know, I'm like, what were you doing? Running up the steps? And, and so Friday came and I was determined I was gonna do it. And I was able, and I did 100 floors in 30 minutes. And I was so happy with myself. I was so pleased. I burned all these calories. And I went out and celebrated by eating a lot. And so, I mean, I was, I was so happy with myself. And then Saturday came. I need to do this again. And I'm not going to. Right? I mean, happiness is that fleeting emotion. That's not what God wants for us. I mean, I'm not saying God wants you to be miserable, but to say that happiness is what I pursue. No, no, no. What we pursue is joy. See, joy is being in the deepest, darkest tunnel of my life and knowing that God has provided a way out, that that God has provided light at the end of my tunnel. That's what joy is. What God wants for his believers is the joy, a joy that doesn't make any sense, a joy that passes all understanding. He wants us to have joy that, that totally blows us away, not happiness. Happiness will come and go. Joy lasts forever. And some of us have that mindset thinking, well, a little bit more money would make me just a little bit happier. Happiness is not the pursuit of a believer, and then some people think this. Well, you know, maybe a little bit more money would make me feel more secure, right? If I had a little bit more money, I had a little bit more savings, that way when the car blows up, you know, I know that we're going to be okay. Or that way, when something happens, I know we're going to be okay. Now, listen. Here's the deal. I'm, this is probably the struggle in Doug's life. Not that I always crave the more, but I always want enough. Right? I always want enough because I, I want to make sure things are covered. If something happens, if, if the roof blows off, we can, we can fix that and we'll be okay. I mean, whatever the scenario is. But here's the thing that I realize is that, that sometimes we think that money's going to make us secure because when we look at our finances, most of us would say this, we never have what? Enough. enough. And so here's what we do, especially if we're godly, right? We create a line, right? We go, if I had this much in the bank, that way if all things exploded on earth, I would be Okay? And here's what I have found out in my life, and maybe you found out. When you get to that line, you cheat. You move the line, right? I'm here... Now I go there. Now some of you are like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a Dave Ramsey person. Listen, I love Dave Ramsey. In fact, Sonia and I did Dave Ramsey before we knew there was a Dave Ramsey. We would get our checks in college and cash them and put them in envelopes and I would put them in the freezer because I thought there was something humorous about cold cash. And so we would put them in the, (laughs) true story, true story. And we put them, and so I'm all about, but Dave Ramsey would say this, that yes, you need to save. Yes, you need to give to the Lord, but you need to get out of debt. But he talks about getting out of debt, not so you would hoard money, but so you would give money away. It's very different thinking, isn't it? And see, some of us really buy the mentality that if I had more money, I'd be happier. If I had more money, I would feel more secure. And here's what you will find out as you maybe get more money, is that more money does not bring happiness, and more money does not bring a greater level of security in your life. That's why Jesus says this in chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. You cannot serve both God and money. One of them will eventually be the master of your life. But yet we try to do it, don't we? God, I love you, but we don't trust God with our money. So guess what happens? We end up trusting money more. And the next thing you know, we've got, we're trying to serve two masters. And listen to me, when you try to serve two, money will always win. Because money fills that fleshly desire for more, where God is teaching us more about selflessness, not selfishness. Right? There's something I want you to think about with me this morning. If you really value money over everything else, please hear this. You will serve money and it will disappoint you because it will not bring the things you thought it would bring. And eventually it will become the master of your life. Why? Because money is the chief competitor for your heart and my heart. Let me give you a second point. If you would flip this 1 Timothy chapter six, this is where we're gonna spend most of our time today. 1 Timothy chapter six, verse nine. Just verse nine is all I'm gonna read. It says this. But those who desire to be rich, now here's what that means, those who desire money. Now, if I ask you if you were rich today, most of you in the room would say, I'm not rich. Some of you might say, yeah, I'm pretty loaded. But most of us in the room would say, I'm not rich. But here's what we know, and I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but let's just be honest. If we lived in a third world country, we know that we are rich compared to them, right? I mean, I remember the first time I went to Romania and they said the average monthly income was under $50 a month. I'm like, whoa, right? Right? We are rich, right? Can we all agree that everybody in the room, no matter how empty your bank account seems to be, we are rich. And he says, for those, verse nine, for those who desire to be rich, desire to have money, he says this, they fall into temptation and to a snare and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them, people, into ruin and to destruction. Here's what he says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is. Now, I've heard that so misquoted all my life, right? Haven't you? But here's what he says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, here's what we never do. I've heard that all my life, but nobody has ever told me what that meant. What are the evils that money drives in my life? Well, Paul is clear. First thing he says is that it leads you into temptation, right? That if you have this love of money going on, you desire to be rich, you desire to have money. One of the things is you fall into this idea of temptation. Well, guess which temptation you fall into? greed, right? Doesn't money foster greed? Because money has one thing it desires. Now listen to this, more. I was reading an article this week that said Rockefeller, I think it was J.D. Rockefeller, who was asked this question, because he was wealthy, right? I mean, this guy was loaded, and he was asked this question, how much money is enough? And here was his answer, a little bit more, right? Now, For all of us, the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. And one of the evils it leads to is the evil of greed. And I want to demonstrate greed for you today. That's why the cabbage, all right? This table over here, and as you can't see it, I'll just kind of tell you some stuff. This table here represents what many of us would say would be our normal monthly bills, such things as I've got a car payment, whether it's a, a new car, or not a new car, an old car, but I'm still paying on a car. I got a car. I got to put gas in the car, right? So I've got that. I've got to pay insurance. And if not, you're in trouble, but you're going to pay insurance, right? I've got that. And then, and then I've got utilities because you got a light bill. You've got a water bill. You've got, you've got all, maybe a gas bill. You've got a sewer. You've got all that stuff. And then, you know, we got we got to live somewhere. So we either got a house we've bought and, and are paying for. We haven't, we don't own it. We're paying for it. Or we're renting a place, right? So you've got that kind of money. So, And all of us, we want to be connected so we have the almighty cell phone, right, somewhere. And some of you still are old school with the flip phone, but you know, we got to have some way to connect to people so we've got cell phones. And then you got to eat, right? You got to eat. So even if it's ramen noodles, you got to eat. And so you got groceries right here. And then there's extra. And I just put extra there because at some point, maybe one day you had like, hey, I might need to buy a belt or something or socks or underwear. I mean, I got to have a little bit of something to buy something, right? And see, most of us, we, we can resonate with these bills and then if we do things God's way and biblically we have these kind of categories too we we want to save right because that's that's good stewardship and then this is to being the pastor for a minute we give back to God right called the tithe a percentage income of what we have And see, there's many of you in the room today that would say, and your bills might be different, but you would say, okay, I could break up my budget this way. Here's the things that we pay for and we have that's going on from gas to house to extra to a car to insurance. But at the same token over here, I've set aside money we're gonna save. Like I'm gonna save 10%, I'm gonna give 10%, and I'm gonna live on 80%. Now, if you think about it, doesn't God allow us to live in a whole heck of a lot compared to what we get? Amen. Some of you are offended. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. But he does, doesn't he? Here's where greed comes in. You know, I know I've got these bills, and I know I'm giving to the Lord, and I know I'm saving over there, but you know what? that new iPhone 20 is coming out. I'm telling you, this new iPhone 20 is coming out and I'm gonna tell you at the end of the day, man, this thing is like a real life hologram and I'm telling you, I gotta have that thing. So I'm gonna take a little bit out of this over here and I'm gonna put this right here because I want that iPhone 20 because if it can be a FaceTime hologram, that is awesome and I gotta have it. Whatever's new, I gotta have it. If you're a Samsung person, I'm sorry, but I gotta have a new iPhone 20, right? At the same token, you you know, I... I just want a new car. I've been in springtime. I've been driving around. I've decided I've got to have something new. And it doesn't matter that I'm overextended over here. And now I've taken part of my tithe money. And now I've got this iPhone 20 because it's like $75,000 a month i got to pay, you know? And so, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I like the new car. So, hey, we're just going to, sorry about that. And we're going to take this and we're going to shove the new car over here and we're going to put it right over there. Because now, when we got one car, but now we got a new car. And now I've got an iPhone 20 plus so all bills. And I'm doing great. But you know, I don't like basic cable. I want an expanding basic, right? And so that's not going to work for me anymore, so i got to come back over here. I know I'm supposed to save this money, but at the end of the day, well, that's a tough cabbage there, and so that's not good enough, and so I've got to come over here, and I've got to get a little bit more, because I want just a little bit more cable, because you know what? They don't have the golf channel on regular basic, but expanding basic does have the golf channel, and I've got to have that bad boy, but you know what? I like the river, too, and I want a boat, right? Amen? I want a boat. And so I got to come back over here. And so, man, I, that's not going to work for me anymore. And so next thing you know, I'm going to get me a little boat. And it's going to be a John boat with a big motor. We're going to go really fast. And, and I'm going to put that right over there. Now, is anything I said that I want a bad? No. no. But what's happened? I went from living on 80% and giving God 10% and saving 10% to now this is what greed looks like. Taking all my resources and spreading it out and having more and more and more stuff. I would say there's more of you living in the room like this than like I first started, unfortunately. And here's what happens when we get to this point. Here's the temptation of greed. Well, now that I've got all this stuff, oh my gosh, I mean, I got like 20 bucks to my name at the end of the month here, and I got all this stuff. Now, did you notice it was interesting that when I took stuff off the tithe and savings, I never reduced anything over here, but I reduced everything over here, right? The money came from here, not over here. That's that's a whole nother sermon, but that's, that's what we do, right? We don't take money out of groceries or out of extra out of a car. We take it out of the tithe and we take it out of savings. And what happens is when all my money is being spent on stuff, here's what I need. I need more money. So now everybody's got to work in the house, right? Now I need to work longer hours. I need to get a better job. And the more I get, the more I what? want. Want. Now, you get the picture of what greed looks like? Do you get the picture of what greed really looks like? Some of us are living here, and you are gonna, You, you, you are chained to bills and monthlies and and lust of your heart. And he says, "Listen, if you want to be rich and you want money, listen. Here is one of the evils that the love of money will lead us to. It will lead us to the evil of temptation of greed." And some of us are there. But he also mentions, he says, not only temptation, but they'll be snared, meaning they'll be trapped. Now, what is the trap of money? That the more you have, the better off you are, right? That's the trap of money. The more money you have, the better off you are. I remember when I was a kid, when I first decided that I wanted to go into ministry, it was funny, my dad was like, well, you're never going to make any money. And my brother, I wanted to do a different path. And, he's, and then I remember my dad talking about that and comparing, you know, what my brother might make versus what I might make, which... At the end of the day, my my dad was probably right, but it was like, that was kind of the dictating factor. And and I remember my dad said something I'll never forget. He said, son, no matter what you make, you will always spend everything you make. Now, if you're over the age of 25, is that not true? Because I remember when Sonny and I were dirt poor, and I thought we had more in the bank than we do when we were both working. It's just the nature of the beast, right? Why? Because the snare or the trap of this idea of wanting money and pursuing money is that more makes me feel more secure. Do you remember the story in scripture where Jesus is kind of telling the story about this guy who had all this money and he had so much money, he had to put it in barns, but he had, he wanted so much more money, he had so much more, he ended up tearing down those barns to build bigger barns to house his money. Do you remember that? That's how some of us are living our lives. We just want to keep building bigger barns. At the end of the day, here's a question for you. What kind of security do you really want to search for? Do you want security that's, that's earthly security that one day is gonna pass away? Or do you want eternal security knowing that you're living and following and obeying Christ? Which one? Then he mentions, he says this in verse nine. Go back to verse nine if you would, Dave. You throw it back up there, or, or Cindy. It says, but those who desire to be rich or want money fall into temptation, that's greed, into a snare, that's the trap, and into senseless. Harmful desires, meaning a craving that will destroy us. That's what it means, a craving that will destroy us. That if we have this desire for money, this love of money, one of the evils is it leads us down a path of cravings that will destroy us. Have you ever known anybody that bought into that get-rich-quick schemes? Right? You can give us $100, and in two days, you're going to have a million dollars. Woo, I'm in, and they lose everything. Why? Because there's a craving in them to have more. Right? How many of you know people, don't raise your hand, but know people that have, are willing to compromise their integrity just to get more? How many of us have known people that have lost their families in their pursuit of more, right? Because the craving was harmful and destructive. And then the last thing he says here, he says, and then verse 9, The harmless and uh, uh, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, meaning those people who desire money, who love money, ultimately will just lose their faith. Now, why would somebody who desires money lose their faith? Here's why. Because I don't need God. I got money, right. I got money. I don't need God. In fact, listen, the money I got is mine. I work for it, I spent the overtime and got it, it's my money. And we have this mentality, many of us, I am an owner of my money, I'm not a steward or a manager of it. We do not believe that it all belongs to God. We believe I work my 40 hours, it is mine, mine, mine. Like we're two years old again, it's mine. Right? So I don't need God, I got money. And so Paul's conclusion is in chapter six, verse 10, listen to this, for the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evils. That's how Paul concludes it. Now, why would Paul draw this out for us? Here's why. Because we've got to keep our mindset about money in check. We do. Because if our mindset is wrong, if we love money, and even though it sends us down this path of many evils from greed to a false sense of security to harmful desires to losing our faith, I mean, whatever it is, I mean, the end of the day, I mean, we've got to keep our mindset about money in check because if not, we will learn to trust money more than God. We will learn to worship money more than God and we will eventually pursue money more than we pursue God. That's why Paul's making this a big deal. So here's Paul's challenge to us and to these people through Timothy, chapter 6, verse 11. Listen to this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Everybody say flee. Flee, flee. flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Here's what Paul says. You need to flee the love of money. There's only two times in all of scripture that the apostle Paul tells us to flee. Usually he says, stand firm in your faith. But when it comes to sexual morality and the love of money in both occasions, he says, flee. Does anybody know what flee means? <laughs> it means to desperately and frantically get away. Most of us aren't doing that. On either issue. We like to play with it. We like to walk the line of it. Well, you know, if you walk the line, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall. And the challenge that Paul has for us and for them that day is we need to make sure we flee the love of money. We need to make sure we walk in faith, we walk in love, we walk in endurance, and we fight the fight of living a life of faith, that we fight to live by faith, that we fight to pursue God and not pursue money. So here's Paul's challenge. Quit pursuing money. Flee the pursuit of money and pursue God. So here's the last question I have for today. It's this. How do we do it? How do we quit, how do we flee the pursuit of money And how do we pursue God more? He tells us in 1 Timothy chapter six, look at verse six. There's two things he says. Here's the first one, verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with this, we will be content. Here's how we flee the love of money and pursue God. Number one, be content. Be content. Now let me tell you what contentment is. Contentment is, now, does, does contentment mean that you should never desire to get a better job that pays more, that you can do better things? No, 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 no. In fact, all these things we got were not bad except for the fact that we sacrificed giving to God and, and saving, and then we wanted more. We wanted, we wanted stuff. That's the bad in this. But to have that de- de- desire for a little bit more, you know, to, to have, to be able to, to maybe, maybe you're renting a home, you want to buy a home, there's nothing wrong with that mentality. But at the end of the day, what Paul is trying to say is this, is that we need to learn to be content, meaning this, be satisfied with where God has you. Be satisfied with where God has you financially, spiritually, maybe geographically. Be satisfied because God is ultimately in control. Be content. Be content. Be satisfied. Don't let the pursuit of money be the chief pursuit of your life. Be content. Now listen, this is not just true in money. This is true in every area of life. Are we people that are content? Content with where God has us. Content with what God is doing in our lives. Content with our job. Content with our fi- Are we content or are we always restless? Pursuing the wrong things. Be content. Second of all, he says this, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, Not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Here's the second thing we do, to flee the love of money and to pursue God. You be content and be generous. Be generous. Now, I don't know about you, but I typically am not a very generous person. I wrestle with this. My wife is the opposite of that, which is great for me, Not kind of. I mean, she she balances me because I'm not wired that way and it's sinful on my part. But he says, listen, if you're gonna flee one and pursue the other, you've gotta learn to be generous. Now, why would he say that? Because generosity is how we keep our craving for money in check, right? Generosity is how we keep these wrongful cravings about money in check in check. And there's a couple ways we can be generous. Number one, if you read scripture, is to give to people that are in need. People that have needs. He says, be ready to share. You know, Jesus talks about that passage where he talks to these people and he says, hey, listen, here's needs to be your story. That I look at you one day and say this, that when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And as you've done these to the least of these, you've also done it to me, right? What's he saying? Take care of people. If people are in need, be generous. But what's another way we need to be generous? Well, it's through giving back to the Lord. It's the tithe. The, The head of cabbage I had right here. The tithe. Being a percentage giver back to the Lord realizing it all belongs to him, and he's only asked me to manage and steward what he's entrusted me with, not to hoard it. That's how we're to be generous. Why? Because generosity, giving to others, giving back to God, keeps our desire for money in check. Let me give you one more reason why. Because when we are generous, when we are generous, it's a reminder that we are now trusting God to provide all of our needs and not money, right? I'm trusting God that he's gonna take care of me because he said he would instead of trusting in the almighty dollar. So here's what I want you to think about. Do you trust God with your money? Do you trust God with your money? Do you sit down and do you pray and seek his wisdom and his direction as it relates to your finances? Because here's what we need to know today. Money is the chief competitor for your heart and for my heart. And if we fall in love with money, it will lead to all kinds of evil in our life. And the only thing we can do to respond is this, is to flee the love of money and pursue God and loving him. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and stand with me. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes and stand with me this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just wanna pray for you I know talking about money, it's personal, it's offensive, it's, it's whatever you think it is. But everything that we've learned from Jesus and everything we heard the Apostle Paul say is true. Money is the chief competitor for your heart and my heart. Loving money will take us down a path that we don't need or don't want to go down. It's a path that leads to many, many evils. But at the end of the day, what we need to do is to flee the love of money and pursue Christ. So if you have not trusted God, today I'm going to ask you to trust Him. I'm going to ask you just to pray and confess that to Him and ask Him to do a work in your life. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. And Lord, I just pray that as we as we wrap up our time today that you just be with us. That we would think about our money. Because, Lord, there's a whole bunch of us in the room that are about to go out and feed our face. And we're going to do it because that's what we always do. We want to do it. We enjoy doing it. But, God, would you cause us to pause and go, okay, but am I being faithful to be generous? Am I taking care of those in need? Am I giving back to the Lord the tithe, what you deserve and and what you ask? Am I I saving so that, that I can prepare for anything that might come our way, Lord? I mean, Lord, help us really think about Are we trusting you with our finances? Are we trusting you? And Lord, I just pray today. I pray that for some folks today, we would just decide that we need to flee our love of money and that we would pursue trusting you with our money and pursue following you more. God, I love you and I thank you and may we give you our hearts, may we give you our affection and may we give you our attention today. For it's in your precious son's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.